Well, he's done it. Fabio Quattararo has taken the MotoGP World Championship for 2021 with two races remaining. Following a lowly qualifying position in 15th at Misano, he fought through towards the front while others, quite simply, crumbled around him. Coming in with a 52-point lead at the beginning of the weekend, he had a hand on the title, but only his rival in the shape of Peko Banyaya had that chance of the championship. And Banyaya did exactly what was needed, leading every lap until crashing out with five laps to go, giving it to the Frenchman. Did he give it to the Frenchman? Well, I rather fancy that the Frenchman won the championship the other way around. Consistency has absolutely been his key because he's finished every single race this year. What a turnaround year for Quattararo. Well, Simon Patterson, Valentin Harunshi, and myself, Toby Moody, we're here to talk about Mizano the second time round in 2021. And as always, we'll have our first thoughts of the weekend just gone, starting with you, Simon. Uh, the future of MotoGP is in really good hands based on the display that we saw yesterday, not just from Quattararo, but from Bagnaya and from Mir as he lost his title. Well done. Valentin. Uh, this is going to be such a stupid thing to pat myself on the back for, but if you ask me pre-race how, how it would play out, I'd say that it would be like 2016 and that the title would be decided in a, in a moment where somebody crashes, basically. I expected Bagnaya to fall down at some point and Quattararo to become anti-climactic champion that's exactly what happened well he certainly made up for it by the time the checkered flag came down for me there was a still photo on muddergp.com of the celebration that he had when he got off the bike and he stood in front of that big long television screen and Quattararo was just in tears just the, it all came out of him I just thought I just love that emotion of sport that for me kind of amongst many other things, summed up what a great day yesterday was. Well, where to start with Quattararo? Um, just to give you a little bit of a background, he won the Moto3 Championship in Spain twice, but when he came to the World Championship, he, by his own admission, couldn't win a thing. Uh, it took until Moto2 to win a race. I haven't seen a turnaround like that for some years. You know, he, he, he got into the big class, and it just came alive. It was it was meant to be for him. Big bikes. Yeah, just a just a remarkable fairy tale all around. Because this is ultimately this MotoGP chance he wasn't really supposed to get, and he only got it because they wouldn't be able to agree financial terms with Lorenzo, and because Pedrosa didn't want it, and because uh, Fabio got hot in Moto2 at exactly the right time. I think he probably would have made made it to MotoGP at some point, but he wouldn't have been on this ridiculous path and getting this this bike that clearly suits him so, so well. Uh, considering, I mean, the talent was always clearly there, so it's not the biggest shock in the world. It's not the biggest Cinderella story in the world, but considering that, you know, in Moto3 he got hurt and never really showed the potential, his career could have fizzled out. It really, really could have. And with a few moments, it turned into what it's turned into now. It's it's almost as remarkable as, as Mir's title last year. Just absolutely great for our sport and wonderful wonderful to see it, it's it's as remarkable as Mir's title last year but there has been a sense that this Mir's title last year came as a complete surprise to everyone really um, no one expected that Suzuki to be so good no one expected Mir to be so consistent etc 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 but 
there's kind of been a sense since like her F 2019 that there was a Fabio Quadraro title coming. Since that that fourth race of his MotoGP career, whenever he should have been on the podium and the damn thing and the bike broke down because a 50p part and the linkage snapped and he was left at the track the first time we saw that that Quadraro emotion whenever he was sitting at the side of the track in floods of tears when he was at the floor of the garage in floods of tears um, it, it, it's almost been the path since then has led to today um, with his performances at the end of that season whenever he found his way whenever he was able to be the only person to take the fight to to Mar Marquez for like a good six months when he started 2020 and won those two races just dominated the first two races of the year at Jerez. Um, but always all the way through that process, there's been just stumbles, roadblocks, things that needed to be fixed before he was the complete package. And the most impressive thing that he has done, as far as I'm concerned, is that every time he has seen one of those hurdles, one of those roadblocks, he's identified it, he's gone away, he's worked on himself to fix it, and then he's come back to the next race or the next season, whatever, stronger. And that eventually is why he's a champion today. Because of that ability to sort of self-analyze and to address what's gone wrong in the past. It's interesting that he said about his crew chief, uh, Diego Gubellini, he said, I used to come in the garage shouting and saying that the bike is rubbish and it doesn't bloody work. And Diego said, that's great, but I need to know what is exactly wrong with it so that I can make it better. And he said that that was one of the, don't moan, just try and sort it. He, he specifically uh, identified Valencia 2020 as kind of the day whenever that stopped happening because Diego had strong words with him. And uh, I went and found Diego last night because we, we worked together at Patronus. I know the guy quite well. And uh, the first question I said to him was, so Fabio talked about Valencia 2020 and Diego started to laugh. He knew right away what I was talking about, what the question was going to be without having seen the press conference, without, you know, he knew what was coming. And, and he said exactly that, that up until that point, when things were bad, Quadrao lost his temper and afterwards he kind of realised that losing his temper was counterproductive uh, and, and then Quadrao himself went on to talk about how um, how the biggest change he feels that he's made is that he just, now he needs to remind himself that whenever things are bad he stays calm, he tells himself it'll be okay, he said he did it yesterday, uh, on Saturday after that really poor qualifying performance he said he, he had words with himself and sort of said look, it'll be okay, we've got another race to win the championship, everything will pan out, and that that attitude has got him through this year. And the attitude over last off-season, Simon, when he admitted that he'd have these off days mentally and he'd just have a bit of a freak. And we said about this time last year, he's got to sort his head out. And lo and behold, he did. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, he 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 has he has sorted out all of his problems. It's, it's as simple as that. But coming back to that race that he did in Mizano too, the, the Mizano yesterday, how good was it? 15th and he got up to third position, only losing that third position with two corners to go to, to, to Bastianini. I was shouting at the television, let him go, let him go, just get the thing over the line. I'm sure half the press office was as well, half the people watching supporting Quattararo were as well. But it was an epic ride on the day. 
It was a good ride, but it, it the thing about Quartararo is that it wasn't it wasn't surprising. Like if you put with all due respect to the guy, if you put Maverick Vinales in that same position, he finishes fifteenth because he could not overtake on that Yamaha. And Fabio is the guy who who cracked the code, who was able to make progress on the Yamaha despite its inherent lack of top top speed, straight line competitiveness. Uh, so it, it wasn't. It was really good, but it wasn't. It wasn't massively surprising. Obviously, Misano once showed that he had great pace at the track uh, in in normal conditions, and in the race we were presented with more or less normal conditions. It's impressive that he stayed on the bike, considering how many people didn't stay on the bike. And for for Fabio, just the thing with Fabio is he's so good at staying on the bike, given the speeds at which he goes. He is. That's his ace in the hole, and that again, that used to be Vinales's ace in the hole. But Fabio is that, but also he doesn't have really, really terrible weekends. So that's that's sort of the key to it. But he's uh, Val. He's finished every single race this year together with Marini. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it, it it's it says something, and it, it it says a lot. I think you would argue that maybe Yamaha is less crash prone, but I think. Valentino's been throwing it in the gravel over and over and over again this year. Uh, just Fabio's really, really, this is a really good asset to have in modern MotoGP. Banyaya ultimately has had, he still does crash. He's super rapid, but he still has his moments of, of going down. So that's, you know, that's where the, the points difference comes in. Even when your suit fails, even when your arm fails, at least you stay on the bike. Fabio stays on the bike. What I thought was most impressive yesterday about that charge to the field was that he knew just how much to do. Uh, he, was, he wasn't on the limit. He was pushing, he was aggressive, he was riding hard, but he never looked like he went over the limit. And I think the only time, <clears throat> the only time we saw him come close to the limit was right at the end whenever he was battling with Bastianini and Bastianini sort of retaliated and put in a couple of hard moves and you could see Quadro saying, yeah, not worth it. Thanks. Off you go, chap. You know, it, it's only a month since we watched the Moto E Championship decided by a crash through those corners. And, I, uh, you know, he, he just, yeah, he knew exactly how much to do yesterday. And that's an impressive ability. He's also completely, like you say, Val, he's completely nixed any other Yamaha rider's complaints for the foreseeable future about the bike not being able to overtake, uh, which is something that we've heard repeatedly from, from lots of their other riders over the last few years. And he showed it's just not the case anymore, that the bike is fully capable of it if you can marry your riding style to what the bike needs to go fast around other people. Any nuggets last night from Lynn Jarvis, boss of Yamaha, Simon? What have you got to say? Uh, I didn't actually speak to Lynn last night. Um, it was all a bit of a, a sort of a whirlwind. Um, the party went on quite a while, believe it or not. <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> yeah, imagine that, imagine that. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the priority last night was speaking to a few other people um, because there were people around Fabio who I think are more important than Lynn. Um, it was really good to speak to Diego Gublini, and it was also really, really good to speak to uh, Tom Mabant, who's his longtime partner, the crazy idiot that was standing at the side of the track screaming yesterday whenever Quadraro got off the bike. Um, we had a real good talk last night, and, and that will be on the race at some point this week. Um, he, he essentially said, you know, he's known Fabio most of Fabio's life. He's a little bit older than him. 
and all he sees, the only change he's seen is that this guy that he's always known, who has always been a normal kid, has just grown up. Yeah, that he's went from being 15 years old and riding a Grand Prix bike to being 22 and riding a Grand Prix bike. And the, the difference in those five years is uh, a championship. I mean, it's also beyond the, the obvious Fabio improvement and growth. It is, you know, it is every bit as much of a Yamaha title too. And it's, it's, it's a really, really important one because it's felt like Yamaha has been on the precipice of finally returning to the, to the winner's circle. And every time something would would go really wrong. 2020 looked like an open goal, and instead they, they let Mir get the scoring touch. Uh, this year, the bike was better suited to, to their best rider. The, the others didn't seem to do so well with the, with the 2021 bike. Maverick did well for like one or two races, but that was, that was about it. But Fabio really, really found some synergy with it, and as Honda has shown, as long as your, your bike fits your star rider, and that star rider stays fit, which the good thing is Fabio doesn't crash. As long as that, you're going to be okay. And Yamaha has come up with a bike compared to last year that suits its star rider much better. And let's not forget that uh, Fabio signed to ride for the factory team in January of last year. So it's not an accident that the bike fits their star rider. This has been a work in progress for 18 months uh, because they've known that he was coming, they've known his data, they've known what he was capable of, and I think they've they've kind of bet on him from the beginning in a way that maybe some other manufacturers haven't in the past. You know, we've seen the likes of Ducati build the best motorbike that Ducati think they can build, and then tell their rider, "Okay, you fit this. The bike doesn't. This doesn't fit you. You fit to it." Um, and I think Yamaha have taken a bit of a different approach. But the, the good thing is that they've done it while still retaining that key Yamaha DNA. So they're not in the same position as Honda where no other rider is capable of riding the bike. Because I think once we see a fully fit, you know, we saw a flash yesterday for the first time in six months of what a fully fit Franco Morbidelli could do again. And he was back at the sharp end. Uh, and I think that, that next season, um, both of the factory Yamahas will be a lot closer to the front a lot more often. Yamaha are on a bit of a roll, aren't they? Uh, won every single World Supersport race this year, won the championship, knocking on the door of World Superbike Championship, uh, won MotoGP Riders Championship, uh, Constructors Team, that's going to be an argument between Works Yamaha and Works Ducati over these next two Grand Prix in MotoGP. So what a year they are having, goodness me. Um, mega. They also won the British Superbike title, of course, the Middle America title, and the All Japan Superbike title. Just to round it all out, <laughs> eh? What a year. What a year. That may have never happened before, and it may not happen again for a very long time, even uh, if it has. Four of the five championships have been won before in the same year. In 2009, whenever Valentino Rossi and Ben Spees led the way for Yamaha and Superbikes in MotoGP. Okay. Yeah. And well, Leon Camer and Cameron Bobier, I think. 2009. Yes, I was there that day. Yeah, as were you. So, yeah, wow. Wow. Uh, what a thing. Um, the post-race celebrations, I've mentioned it at the top of the broadcast that, you know, it was great to see him just sheer emotion. You could hear him 
screaming and shouting over the sound of the motorbike, even with the onboard camera that was at the dash pointing back at him. But then side of the track, tailed off, red carpet. It was all a bit laid out and it worked out well. I thought it was brilliant with that great big long television screen and highlights of his career. Not quite so sure of the CGI monster popping out the ground, but maybe that's just me. Um, but uh, I thought it was I thought it was fun and 21st century. Otherwise, yeah, I don't think I don't think they hired the the Marvel guys for this. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect, budget ran out. <laughs> yeah, also the budget probably isn't isn't quite the same. But you know, otherwise, uh, otherwise those you know clearly. It's it's hard to it's hard to like you there's a I think you kind of want to be a bit sour on it and be like oh them kids but clearly Fabio seemed to really really like the elaborate celebration and he was he was absolutely in tears just just screaming and crying and screaming and crying uh it it was really really emotional for such an elaborate and grandiose and weird thing so you know, I'll I'll remember it fondly, even though it was completely absurd. It it very much felt to me like something that someone else came up with, and then he didn't know much about, and then he kind of just ignored all the celebrations and screamed and cried and roared and hugged and you know he he, he almost didn't fully engage with it because he was so shocked and so emotional. And it's so much better for that because we've seen these grand elaborate celebrations in the past, normally with Marc Marquez, where he's like hitting something with a hammer or playing pool or rolling a bowling ball. And he tends to look quite robotic during them. There's, you know, he's the hair is perfect, even though the helmet's just come off, his teeth are shining. He's got a huge <laughs> smile on his face. It was quite good to see Quadraro horse with the snot blinding him from the tears streaming from his face and barely able to string together two words. You know, the, the raw emotion of yesterday made up for anything else, even the bloody CGI devil or whatever. You know, it. <laughs> it at the end of everything, when we look back on today in 10 years or 20 years' time, we're going to remember that photograph of him crying his eyes out. We're not going to remember the CGI gonna remember, yeah, Exactly. We're going to remember the CGI devil because it's going to be a new movie franchise. Movie side Space Jam. Yes. Yes. I, I did text Steve Day, uh, world feed commentator after the race, and I said, you did make us laugh here at home when you said when that devil thing came out, what in heaven's name are we looking at? <laughs> it was just nicely condescending enough without being completely rude. i tell you what I thought was a bit more ad hoc was when the normal podium had taken place and then they got Fabio upstairs to the podium. I don't think it was planned that all the team members came up and I thought because it was ad hoc, I thought that was quite cool. And there was a moment even then when he just sat down on one of the steps of the podium just for five or ten seconds and just did a stop. Take it all in. This is cool. Like Pierre Gasly did when he won, when Gasly, he won yeah. Monza mm -hmm. last year. Just stop and take it all in. I thought that was brilliant. And I hope it wasn't scripted that they all went up on the podium because they ought to do that more often. Really cool. Really cool. Very good indeed. Um, so then, going forward, is is the story also that he can continue this? The Quattararo Yamaha run has only just started. Uh, I tell you what, the run in uh, 
continue this in the same vein, because I think he was really quite dominant this year, but the problem is, uh, first of all, Bagnaia looks like he's clicked, and also Bagnaia has clicked in such a way that it will encourage Ducati to bet big on him. I think this this run has looked pretty sustainable. I mean, four poles in a row, when you get four poles in a row, you're you're the guy. That's I mean, that's basically it. You're you're the guy for the manufacturer, so that might be interesting. Uh, Suzuki, I think, has something quite special cooking up for 2022, but most importantly, Mark Marquez looks pretty much back, or at least really close to that, so... Yeah, Simon shaking his head. I uh, back at least to something more of a familiar level. Maybe not 2019, but you know, 2017, 2016, that kind of thing. And it's certainly it's not going to be as easy as this here. And even this year didn't look so easy because of the suit and because of the the arm pump. But if those two things didn't happen, Fabio would have absolutely romped to it because he was the the best rider over the season, the fastest rider over the season. I can't imagine it being this comfortable in terms of the gap over the competition next year. So what I'll say is I, I'm not certain that he will be the 2022 MotoGP World Champion, but I am absolutely certain that this is not his last championship. Um, I I maybe see the next few years as something as a, you know, the, this year has kind of felt like uh, the end of the Rossi era in 2009, where, where a few new kids have started to come through, where they've looked fast, where they've looked like we're going to have an amazing few seasons. And essentially, that that's kind of what happened after Rossi's everything from that injury in Mugello in, in 2010, where we saw Lorenzo th- come through, we saw Stoner come through, we saw Pedroza getting back into title contention. And I, I think that's what we're going to have now. I think we're going to see, obviously, Mark is still going to be there, and he's still going to be a threat for the title, don't get me wrong. But but like you said, Bagnaia is there. Uh, Mir is there. I think there's maybe even a few others within the next two or three years. There's people like Jorge Martin when he gets himself in a factory bike who will be really impressive. Gorgeous. But I still think that that Quattro Yamaha package is so strong and Quattro has developed into such a strong rider that he will win again. Um, he is in no rush to leave Yamaha. There are rumors that he's talking to other manufacturers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But of course there are rumors. And of course they probably are talking to other manufacturers because that's how yeah. you make more money. But but yeah. I can't see him seriously considering leaving until he's won more than once. Until he's done a bit of a Lorenzo and won two or three titles. And then you look at the Ducatis. Then you look at the Hondas. Then you look at the Suzukis if they have the money. But right now, no, I think he's going to stay there. I think he's going to win again. And, you know, while others are strong, looking ahead directly to next year, I still don't think any of them are strong enough. Bagnaia needs to go away and do what Quadraro went away and did over last winter and, and address some of his fundamental problems because there are things there that he needs to fix. Uh, Marquez was something we'll touch on later in the podcast, but is not fully fit, not even close to fully fit yet. Um... And yeah, I, I think, and Suzuki, obviously Suzuki have to bring a rather special new motorbike for next year. So unless those things happen, or even if those things do happen and it takes a little bit of time to build up some momentum after they do happen, my money's still on Quadraro. Because at the end of the day, when you look at this season, I think one of his big strengths of this season was a really strong start. 
and then it meant whenever the others found their feet and were able to put on a bit of pressure, he could just cruise because of the points lead he had. And that's essentially what he's been doing now for two or three rounds, cruising. You know, the 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 whole reason that Bagnaya crashed yesterday was because he both knew he couldn't make a mistake and he knew that he had to take home the most amount of points possible. And he was doing all of that with Mark Marquez breathing down his neck. And and that is what forced the it's error. That is what forced yeah. the error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> that's all uh, front of house. We touched on it a minute ago. Back of house, you know, he's a he's a young lad. He used to live in Barcelona. He now lives in in Andorra. He, what does he get up to during the week? Is he all into Ferraris and is he into gold Hublot watches? What kind of a guy is he during the week, Simon? So he he obviously he loves his you know it's pretty obvious from Instagram. He loves yeah. his fashion. He loves his music. Of a sort. <laughs> he loves his... Hey, it's fashion to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he loves his music. He loves gaming. Um, he's quite a normal kid. He actually lives quite a quite a solitary life in Andorra, believe it or not. Um, he's not a huge partier, despite what I'm sure last night was like. Um, he's got a few good friends in Andorra that he, he tends to hang out with and, and live quite quietly. He's really good friends with uh, Danny Sordo, the rally driver. Ooh, they're really that. really close. Yeah, they're, they're very yeah. very close um, and neighbours with each other. Um, I thought you were going to say Dan uh, Daniel Ricciardo. I expected to hear, but Danny Sordo is a he, he is you know he has this amazing. He's the first MotoGP rider that's really broken out of MotoGP since Rossi. In that he's friends with Danny Ricciardo. He's friends with Lewis Hamilton. He's friends with uh, Gasly. You know, but beyond all of that, um, he is still quite a normal bloke, which really says a lot about him. I think. Um, you know, we, we talked last night, I bumped into him in the paddock last night after everything. And we just waited a, a few minutes, quiet chatting. And, you know, he's, he's just going home to Andorra this week. He'll go to France and see the family and, and, you know, celebrate with his little sister and his little brother because they weren't there yesterday. And then he'll go to Andorra and he'll just chill out for a few days. He was asking, you know, are, are you coming to Andorra? Are we doing something with a pizza oven? Which is not how you should... Like, world champions should not be celebrating their world championships by having pizza with me. That's not... <laughs> not with scruffy journalists. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know... So, yeah, he, and he, he's, he's, he's a got, normal he, he, kid. You, you mentioned he's got the younger brother and sister. You mentioned he's got an older brother as well. So, it's quite a young family and the world, all of a sudden, is catching up with them very quickly after yesterday. <laughs> It's going to be a bit of a shock. I think so. Whenever you see, uh, within within minutes of the race ending, whenever you see a tweet from uh, President of France, Emmanuel Macron, celebrating Fabio Quadraro's World Championship, you think, yeah, this is going to be a pretty, pretty crazy week. Uh, on top of that, he's from Nice. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of the guy, but the mayor of Nice is a former 125 Grand Prix motorcycle racer. Correct. Yes. So I would imagine that there's a big celebration planned for Nice this week as well. Well, and you'd like to believe that he'd get that Legion d'honneur, uh, which is a, a knighthood in France, before the year is out as well. You know, th this is massive. For we oh, can yeah. only dream uh, uh, in the UK of what it would be like to win that big world championship. But, uh, yeah, the French, uh, the French have got it. I'm sure the French uh, contingent in the press office were rather happy as well. When I left the media centre last night, I was the last non-French speaking journalist. <laughs> but there was quite a few others with quite a few P 
pieces still to file. <laughs> oh, good for them because they're good people. Great people. Yeah. What a great day. A lot, and, of them, uh, a, a lot of them missed the Zarco session, which almost never happens. So clearly, clearly <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah, well, no, it was uh, a mega day and a mega world champion. Pekka Banyar took the pole position in Mizano, led every lap until he fell off after Miller, who was with him, fell off. It was all about the tyre, wasn't it, Val? Yeah, they had the well, they had the same probable explanation. I think Banyar wasn't exactly sure what caused it, but yeah, the explanation was that the the left side of the front tyre, which they both they both gambled on the on the hard front and the left side of the front tyre cooled down too much because you go turn eight, you go the hairpin turn eight, that's the left hander, then you do five right handers, and then the next left hander you do is that penultimate corner turn for fifteen, and Miller and Banyaya basically had identical crashes just one in the beginning of the race one towards the end of the race and both of them both of them suggested that they didn't break hard enough into turn eight maybe break a little bit too early and didn't didn't get the heat that needed to be there to, to still be there for for turn 15 uh i the, the, the funny story post-race is that if you remember when after aragon the aragon uh, first victory of banyaya that Valentino Rossi was saying that he tried to hypnotize his words, Pecco, into not gambling with the front with the front tire choice and going with the conventional choice, which in that situation actually was the hard front. And it paid off. And Pecco spoke after the race and was saying that he was he was thankful to Vale for 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 the advice. Uh this time, uh Vale told him, don't go with the hard front, go with the medium front. Uh, and he, he also said, and after the race, Valley actually said that he was a bit irritated with, with his mentee because ultimately Banyaya did go with the hard front and ultimately the hard front did did give up on him. Ultimately, Banyaya didn't didn't seem to have any any regrets in terms of that because he just had the better feeling with the tire and it was the risk he took to win the race and he almost did and then he didn't, but I you know it didn't, didn't end up mattering that much, I guess. I think from, from listening to the Ducati guys yesterday, the uh, the last day of the test here, just before Coda, after the last race, was quite a bit cooler than the race weekend. And I think that they'd been experimenting with something on that day with that tyre. And they thought that they had something that would make it work. They thought they had a bit of a secret weapon yesterday with it. Um, and obviously that wasn't the case. Um, but but yeah, I think they they'd kind of convinced themselves that it would be all okay in the day and it, it wasn't. I mean I'd say it was because Becco led the race pretty comfortably. He always had the pace in hand to answer to Mark whenever Mark got close. Uh and ultimately he said it was win it or bin it. That's maybe not ideal for the team's championship and the constructors championship, but because of Ducati's because of Franco Morbidelli's continuing injury and because of Ducati's crazy fleet of bike, they have a built-in advantage in both of those. So he could afford to take the risk, I think. And he did. Ultimately, didn't didn't pan out, clearly. But I don't think they have to regret that too much. And ultimately, we're not going to really remember this part of, of Pecco's season, even though this is now the second time that at Misano he's tossed away a, a near-certain victory. But, I mean, he's, he's arrived. He's Every weekend he's now there, which was not the case last year and was... The opposite in 2019, where he was nowhere bar for like two weekends. So I'm just I'm still in awe. I'm still in complete awe over over his season and the fact that Ducati have found their 
diamond in the rough that they bet on a few years ago and that they remained steadfastly committed to even once he wasn't initially panning out and now that he's working out so so well i i think that the, the one thing that made everything okay about yesterday was that yesterday was always a hail mary regardless they knew that all of the title advantage was towards quadraro they knew that there was very little they could do except go out and, and just try and decimate the rest of the field and Peko gave it his all and and you could see after the race that you know Peko's response after the race was that not that of someone who was angry with himself it was someone who had completely committed and it hadn't worked and that was okay because there was nothing else they could have done and and to be fair to him he took defeat like an absolute champion yesterday uh that clip of him walking out to meet Fabio as he rode back into the garage and giving him a big hug in pit lane is fantastic. It is the, you know, that is sportsmanship. There's also, if you go and have a look on Jack Miller's Instagram, there is just the most amazing photograph of Peko walking it back in from the crash between the two trucks and Jack meets him and just gives him a big hug. And it's just, you know, it says so much about how well that team has developed. It says so much about how that friendship and that partnership between the two of them have developed. And I think that that partnership has been one of the key elements in Peko's season. And uh, it all bodes very well for Ducati's future. Yeah, I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head. Banyaya had lost the championship before the weekend had started. So anything was a bonus and he just did what he could. Uh, I was proper convinced he was going to win that race and as surprised as everybody was that he binned it but ah uh, yeah another time Val yeah I think it's it's uh, as Simon you know touched on Carteraro being just this normal guy I think it's also nice that his main rival this season Pekka Banyai is also clearly just a very normal straightforward very human guy ultimately part of the reason why he lost the title is because at Mugello, uh, he started from pole. His head wasn't quite right, and he chucked it, chucked it down the road straight away. And that you may see that as a weakness, but at the same time, that's a you know that's a pleasantly human touch that he was willing to acknowledge it. That that he's influenced by things like that. I mean, you sort of get a little bit tired of sportsmen being completely robotic and being able to shrug off anything and just go with it. Uh, with all due respect to Mark, Mark does seem a little bit like that. He just seems completely impenetrable, and you want to be that. But also, you like seeing sportsmen that are clearly affected by things and just clearly one of us. And I feel like, in a, in a weird way, Pekka Banyai is one of us, a bit more talented than most of us, but you know what I mean. So I think he'll work on that, but also I hope he retains some of that you know humanity and straightforwardness of his. He's been, he's been very enjoyable. A, a little Bagnaya anecdote that always sort of highlights to me how, how good a person he is, how good a guy he is. Uh, every year Yamaha organized the VR46 Master Camp, which is like a, a mini two-week-long version of the academy where they take kids from Southeast Asia, from Australia, from, from developing markets for them, bring them to Davulia, spend two weeks training with the VR46 riders, they get lessons from them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they bring in all the VR riders to talk to them. And a few years ago, a friend was there for it. You know, Bezeki came and Marini came and Valentino came and they talked about training and fitness and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Peko came and gave them all a lecture about how important it was to remain faithful to your girlfriend. 
it's just like that's a mark of the man right there. <laughs> completely, completely different from what anyone else would think of. But a mark of the man. Now, Banyaya was pushing hard because he had the shark behind him, Mark Marquez. Uh, I was sat on the sofa. I said, Mark's going to win this. Mark's going to win this. I didn't think that Banyaya would fall off. I thought that Marquez would win it on merit by passing him. And in the end, the eyes in Mark when he got to Park Ferme were like, bloody hell, we just won that. Right, let's go and have a party. Uh, He didn't expect that he was going to win it but he'll take the 25 points and he'll take the bonus anyway. Simon, you touched on his fitness earlier in the broadcast. Where do you think he is on that fitness scale if you take good old Mark at 100%? So he did expect to win it. Um, Whenever we spoke to him afterwards, he maybe didn't expect to win it, but he knew he had the ability to win it. But this is the key thing. The only reason, the only thing that's different... From five weeks ago to this week, he admitted after the race, the only thing that let him win at a circuit that isn't one of his, you know, chosen tracks like Saxon Ring and Coda have been, is that on Friday and Saturday it rained. And when it rained on Friday and Saturday, the bike becomes a lot easier to ride. So he said he arrived to Sunday's race fresh, that it's the first race this weekend, this season, at a track where he originally wasn't feeling fantastic, that he did arrive okay because of that weather. And then he also admitted that that sitting behind Bagnaya, um, having someone to chase, um, having someone to sit in the slipstream of, because when the bike is in the slipstream of another bike, it's less physical, it's moving around less. Uh, he said all of those factors are what let him win. He admitted at the end, if it hadn't been for the buffer that Bagnaya built, he wouldn't have been able to maintain the lead and he would probably have been beaten. So I think yesterday a lot of things hid the fact that his physical condition is not fully or even close to being fully back to normal. Um, He did talk a bit about how important the next two races are because the next two races are back to back and that's kind of the next step in the process. Now he wants to see how his body responds to back to back races. So he's quite looking forward to that. And then after that, he says he just he needs two months off. He needs to spend some time resting. He needs to heal up. He needs to very carefully taper. You know, the, you, you hear it a lot in sports like cycling where people start the season not fully fit, but they taper to a point for a big race. That's where he wants to be for the first day of the first round in Qatar, not for the start of testing. So he's he's very conscious of all of these things that he's kind of got almost four months uh, with some testing thrown into the middle to build and re- and, and recuperate. Um, and I, I genuinely think he doesn't know what is going to arrive to Qatar for the first race next year. I think it's it's all up in the air yet. Uh, you say that, you know, after not having the dry practice sessions made, it, made the race easier for him, which makes a lot of sense, but also does sort of make me wonder... Should Mark just show up for qualifying, just not do the, the practices? Because he's he's the, the guy who's super quick out of the box always. He's the guy who thrives in unfamiliar track conditions. So you have to wonder whether the results would actually be better if he didn't do any of the practices. I, I have it written down in my notepad to ask him that on Thursday next okay. week. That, that's yeah. one of the first questions I'm going to throw to him. Because, yeah, that that is genuinely, for the last two races of the year, maybe that's a better solution. If the mechanics are looking at engine mileage, 
what about rider mileage? It's as simple as that. You know, that's exactly what you're yeah. saying. It's exactly what you're saying. Um, and, and and it's something that's going to become more and more pertinent with a 21-round calendar next season. Oh. Absolutely. Brutal. Brutal for everybody. Um, finally, Paul Espargaro, his teammate as Reptile Honda man, gets on the podium. Relief or does he know that, can I say this, people fell off in front of him? Uh, I mean, people fell off in front of him, but it was still it was still the best fall race of the season, I think, fairly fairly comfortably. And yeah, cool conditions. That's where Paul works on the Honda, and we we know that. And until until we see some proof on the heat, which for what it's worth, during the weekend Paul was talking about how much he's going to work on the on the motocross now and try to sort of simulate those low grip conditions and get. He's clearly he understands the mission brief and he's going to work on it really really hard over over the off season and obviously wish him all the best. I think we'd all be better off if the second Repsol Honda was also up there as often as possible, as often in the Danny Pedrosa days before he sort of fell off towards the end. But at the same time, look at least it's not a complete wash. He's got a podium now. He's got a pole now. We haven't seen a Honda one two, a Repsol Honda one two since twenty seventeen. That second bike has not been working for people. They've just, you know, from, from latter year Danny to uh, Jorge Lorenzo to Alex Marquez, apart from like two weekends. And, and now for Paul, uh, ultimately it was a really, really good, really competitive race. Yes. So Miller fell and that promoted him one place. Banyaya fell, that promoted him another place. And you can say that Quartararo's freak bad qualifying also sort of counts in there. But that's still fifth. And that's fifth with everybody staying on. So I think this is a legit podium. And I, I think congratulations because he did ride a pretty good race. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we saw yesterday. So yesterday, remarkably really, yesterday was Paul's best ever Grand Prix result. All of his previous MotoGP podiums have been thirds. So that is his best ever result. And I think really everything else that happened is kind of, it was enough to promote him from third to second, if that makes sense. So what we saw is is Paul's level on the KTM that he's kind of found again, maybe. You know, he's he's back getting himself into the swing of things. Um and yeah, I it it couldn't have come at a better time because it for one, it it just, you know, it will be so much easier for him going into the winter with a podium under his belt. It just makes life. All of those days, whenever the alarm clock goes off at six o'clock in Andorra, because you have to drive two and a half hours to Rocco's Ranch in Barcelona to ride motocross or flat track are a little bit easier whenever there's a trophy sitting in the bedside cabinet, isn't it? So it, uh, it couldn't have come at a better time for him mentally. I think it will perhaps let Honda, it will focus their minds a little bit as well. Because it has, it, it's 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 another result that cements everything Paul has said about what's wrong with the bike. Yeah, the in his defence, every time conditions have got cool this year, Paul has done what he said he can do on the bike. So uh, so it, it cements that nicely for them. It hopefully leads to them addressing that a little bit in in what's coming with the new bike. But it's also quite notable that both Paul and Mark said that the work that they did at the test here with the new bike has directly influenced this weekend's result as well, which does hint to me that there are parts coming that will make a difference. We know that both of them were in a frame that isn't available to any of the other Honda riders yet. And I would imagine that that frame will be 
the basis of the 2022 bike. So, um, you know, the, there are lots to be positive about, not just for Mark, but for Paul from that result. There was a lot going on on the cooling down lap. We didn't really know where to look. We had a world champion to celebrate. We had a Repsol Honda 1-2 to celebrate and Valentino Rossi saying goodbye to his Italian fans, at least dressed in leathers with a crash helmet on for the very last time. There was, uh, as I say, a lot going on. Uh, he chucked his helmet into the crowd. Uh, great line he gave to the Italian journalist at the end of the day. He said, I enjoyed this weekend so much, maybe I won't bother going to the last two races. <laughs> 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 at which point Carmelo probably fell over in his office. No. <laughs> um, but <laughs> that was that was that was that was fun. He never throws anything into the crowd. Never, ever, 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 ever. And yet it was his way of giving something back to the VR46 fan club. I thought that was that was fantastic. Uh, yeah, every race has been the leaving race. They better come up with something good come Valencia, Simon, because every race has been the same thing. Do you know what they've got up, up their sleeve at all? I haven't a clue, but there is something <laughs> planned. Uh, he said on Saturday or Friday that this is the helmet that they revealed this weekend with all of the, the crowd printed around it is the last helmet. There will not be a special helmet at Valencia. He will use his helmet at Valencia, but there is something else planned. Ooh. So. Wow. Yeah. I, I, you know, he is, he is the master of special liveries, isn't he? He is. He is. When but, you look back at one of GP's iconic one-off liveries, they're all Valentinos. They're all. They're, so there has to be something. And he did it again on Friday, on, on Sunday without even being the guy riding the VR46 special livery yeah. bike. Yeah, but he didn't know about that. He, he did didn't know. know that was no, a no, surprise. I know, I know. But, yeah. but, but there has to be something coming. <laughs> I thought, I thought, how good was that Marini livery? It had one sticker on it, and that was it. Coolest yeah. bike out. Yeah, less yeah. is more. And uh, I heard, I heard a, a story from someone who was inside the process of um, there was a name on that that didn't say Grazie Valle because they'd put another, they'd, they'd invented a sponsor to put on it to go through all the marketing approval with all the various sponsors and brands to tell them that it was a special one-offs uh, sponsor that was joining to keep everything secret right. from Valley. I'm with you. So they fudged the presentation. <laughs> Which is just beautifully done. Cool. Yeah. That was like Kleenex or something. <laughs> Yay. Amazing. Oh, dear. <clears throat> another, another line that I did read with the, with the Italians was, I won't do any tests in MotoGP, but I don't know how long I will last without riding one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we shall see how that one all pans out. Uh, we touched on the outgoing world champion in the shape of Juan Mir. Now the title is decided not in his favour. I read something during the week. Was it from one of the Suzuki managers? You know, oh, well, maybe maybe if Davide Brivio wants to come back, the door is open. But that's only my opinion. He he kind of qualified it. Uh, yeah, there's something going on there by the sounds of it because uh, ultimately the, the real worrying, the, the real telltale sign isn't that Suzuki would quite like him back, but is that Alpine F1 doesn't seem to be terribly aghast at the idea of him coming back which suggests that it hasn't really worked out and had the had the impact that they expected to have just a just a couple of words on the on the mere title defense i thought sunday was 
his second, maybe even his first really bad mistake of the year because ultimately Le Mans wet race, he crashed, he forgot that he needed to bring the bike in to do the bike swap. I don't think that was, I thought the bike was gone anyway. I think that, and it's a wet race. You crash sometimes in wet races, it's fine. I thought this this overtake on Petrucci, that went wrong. That was his his big blunder this season. Um, be, beyond that, I think he's had a really good title defense, but the the package just wasn't quite there. If if you put Mir on the same Yamaha as Quartararo this season, I'd probably still give the edge to Quartararo. But Mir's, you know, he's he's a top level MotoGP rider now, absolutely. So so yeah. What have you heard about Alpine Formula One letting go of Brevio? Can you kind of fill us in on that? Uh, well, not what I've personally, but what our guys in the F1 panic have heard is that they've not like received any approach and they've not talked about it and that Brivio continues to work for them, but that ultimately it is not expected that the team would stand in his way if he favoured a return to MotoGP. Yep. And someone made an excellent point to me last night of if you were Davide Brivio and there were rumours circulating about you weren't happy in F1, the Suzuki MotoGP team really wanted you back. Why would you turn up to a MotoGP yeah. race and be seen on TV unless you were trying to, you know, he's far too clever for that to have happened by accident in the middle of all of these rumors. So uh, that that sort of hinted that to, to some people that there's something going on. And the <clears throat> the problem is uh, the team are adamant. They, they don't say they need Davide Brivio back, but they need... A Davide Brivio. They need someone in that role. They need a European to lead the race side of things. Because they need someone who has the 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 influence. The problem is they, they, they come up with this this like gang of seven management structure where lots of people input into what goes on. But the problem is in a Japanese hierarchical company, some of those people don't have they're not in strong enough positions to really force the issue the way that Brivio did. They can't say, look, we need to do this because that's not how it works whenever you're, you know, a crew chief or, a, or a, you know, someone at that level. So they need Brivio to come in and basically take the fight to the team internally. They also need someone to do the job that is half being done right now by Sinichi Sahara so that they can send Sahara back to Japan and have him do his actual job, which is run the race department. Because he's, you know, trying to do two jobs at once and both are suffering as a result. So, yeah, the, there is a huge need for someone. Um, Brivio, I think, would be the preferred candidate simply because better the devil you know. Um, they have spoken to quite a few other people in the MotoGP ballot who have largely said... Thanks, you know, very, very honoured to be asked, but I'm quite happy where I am. Like Wilco Zielenberg, who will remain with what is now with you, Yamaha, with uh, Francesco Guidotti, who will remain at Pramac Ducati. They've all been approached. They've all turned it down. Yeah, you, you've got to think from what we're hearing from the F1 paddock and the MotoGP paddock that the Brivio hopefully will find his way back. Somebody who found their way back uh, was Ennio Bastianini. Uh, yeah, great. Third position. He does know his way around there in the dark, we have to say, as one of the VR46 Academy riders. 
and I'm sure he could have got at least a top 10 position on a road bike. He would have been that uh, that good. Great line from him after the race, though, Simon, because he said before the weekend he was talking to Ducati about whether or not they'd let him have a 2022 bike in 2022, and there was a bit of resistance, and then he goes and sticks two fingers up them with a third position and the leading Ducati over the line comes Sunday afternoon. I did have a bit of a smile. <laughs> um Worth worth noting, uh, Bastianini is not actually VR46 Academy. He Apologies. Is, he, is, he is a Riccioni native who has never joined the Academy. Um, and I spoke to him about this. I remember speaking to him about this back in his Moto3 days. And he kind of said, well, you know, it's 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 great, but it's not for everyone. And I, I wanted to go my own path. And, and I did. But in saying that, he does basically live at, like, literally live at Mizano. So, yeah, you know, he's within earshot of bikes on track sort of a thing. So, yeah, he, he spends a lot of time there. And you know, Ducati love giving their riders V4 road bikes at the minute to ride whatever they want on track. So, um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's properly applying the pressure in Ducati now. Um, I think Ducati have said they can only build five factory bikes next year. But then, you know, it's not that long ago that Ducati said they could only, 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 there's no way we can build more than three. So these things <laughs> can always change. And I think the, the thing that's probably encouraging Bastianini to, to go out and say things a little forceful in public is the fact that one of those bikes next year is going to Luca Marini, who hasn't done anywhere near as well as Bastianini has. That has got to be a reason to apply some pressure, hasn't it? Who's his manager? <clears throat> the wonderful Carlo Pernat. Ta-da! If anyone can make it happen, it is Carlo Pernat. <laughs> and he, he even said as much last night. He said, uh, maybe Carlo Tina will have some words. <laughs> He's fantastic, isn't he? He's just brilliant. For what it's worth, I mean, it was probably Luca Marini's best best weekend in MotoGP so far in that he's still not quite there over a race distance, which sounds like still sounds like he's saying it's a it's a basic fitness issue that uh, I'm not privy to his exact fitness situation. He looks fine, yeah. but and he's, I he's, guess he needs to bulk up. And he's with the VR46 Academy, so you yeah. think that he has all of the resources, the trainers, yeah. and the experience needed to know what is required to be physical on a bike. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, the qualifying was really, really mm -hmm. good. I mean, ultimately, not every rider can put could, can put a bike on on a MotoGP front row, and Luca Marini did exactly that. So there is, it's not a hopeless, it's not a hopeless case. So he, at the very least, he's not going to be bad on a 2022 bike, and he he does. I think this was the the day that most justified his presence on the grid that Saturday and Sunday didn't really do too much damage to him. He just doesn't have the, the late race longevity and unbelievable late race pace of Bastianini. Obviously it's, if it's down to one or the other, Bastianini should have the 2022 bike. If both have 2022 bikes, then honestly next year is going to be horror for all the other <laughs> team manufacturers. Imagine six 2022 Ducatis all with very capable riders. I mean, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I think uh, going back to Luca, maybe maybe a bit of the issue with the fitness is the guy's size. I think the academy will be very careful to balance how much weight he puts on, given how tall he is. Like he, when you look at him, he's as tall as two other riders in recent MotoGP history. One of which is Danilo Petrucci, who's just lost his ride because he's yeah. too heavy, and the other of which is Andrea Iannone, yeah. who is serving a ban for t cheating to try and lose weight. So 
it is something to be careful of. Luca is a tall kid. Mm. I can't see him being pudgy. He's quite slender. No, 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 but... no, no, no. But but I think they'll be really worried about him putting him on too much muscle because muscle is still weight. It's still weight, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Petrucci isn't really pudgy anymore either, no. but it's it's not. But he's enough. still twenty kilos heavier he to, than than Brad Bender. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got to put on weight to hold he on. He has to, to like shrink down or yeah, <laughs> cut off his feet yeah. or Petru- something. Petrucci's got to put on weight because he's got to hold on to his Dakar bike for two weeks. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's another that's another discussion. Uh, to- to- talking about KTM, uh, goodness me, you could hear in Pit Barra's voice before the race even got underway that he wasn't happy because Brad Binder had binned it down the road on the outlap, and then Ikiwona fell, and then Petrucci got taken out by Juan Mir. And then Miguel Oliveira fell off with five laps to go. So in the end, it was Brad Binder over the line in 11th. Oh, dear me. But but Miguel was there. Miguel's back. I know he was. So that's, but... you know, that's a really, really, really big deal, even if he fell in the end, because I think, I think he ran out of tire. I wasn't, I'm honestly, I don't quite remember the, the explanation that basically it was a crash that he said he saw coming because he was just basically hanging on to what was left of the bike towards the end. But the pace was there and the pace was good and he was the, the leading KTM again and he feels fully fit again, which is, is really important because it's been such a weird blip after this his crazy good mid-season form. So I think it's really exciting to see what Miguel is going to be like in 2022. I think he's a bit of a dark horse that you, you just you never know what exactly we'll get. Ultimately for KTM... The whole season's a wash in terms of big results. That they got the the Binder win and the the Oliveira win is it's as good as it was gonna get because there are still some tracks uh, where the bike doesn't quite work and the the rider lineup. I think they're gonna be expecting a lot out of the 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 absolute. Still got Portugal to go to. Still got Portugal yeah, to go to but... for Miguel. Yeah, but I'd, I'd, it's just this is not the year to fight for the title. So it's more important that Miguel was back onto the pace than that he crashed and didn't get to bring a podium home, I think. And ultimately, I think next year with the absolute freak that is Raul Fernandez and, and Remy Gardner, I think that's going to be the, the, the much more important test because this year already was looking rough since Qatar, and we, we all saw that. And ultimately, two wins out of a rough year is pretty good. I uh, bumped into somebody uh, last weekend and they said he used to work in MotoGP in one of the teams and, oh, I don't watch it so much. Oh, it's sad that Valentino's tugging around at the back. Oh, I'm not really bothered. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, you should see some of the kids coming through. There's this guy in Moto2 called Raul Fernandez. You should see him. Who's he? And I thought, well, there you go. You've just summed it up. If you don't know who he is, then you have your head in the sand. Um, wow, what a prospect. It's, it's, it's Marquez levels of prosperity that we've got in front of us. So that should be uh, quite something to look forward to. Um, what's the deal with RNF Racing, Simon? We know that they've now signed up Darren Binder. They've got a one-year deal to be in MotoGP with Dorna. What? Uh, I- I'll be completely honest. It all feels like a team that is being built, like a structure that has been built by Yamaha to make the actual team element very replaceable. Um, the riders are contracted directly to Yamaha. The door and the money for the bikes will go directly to Yamaha um, simply because RNF Racing is a completely new entity run by Raslan Rosali. There is zero input whatsoever from Johan Stigafeld, who 
really was the backbone of the Patronus sick racing setup for the last 10 years. And, it, you know, uh, Rosali admitted as much on, on Friday that Yamaha did their due diligence and they have no track record to look at. So they can't give him a deal longer than one year, which is really pretty damning because I've never heard anything like that in in MotoGP. You know, they came in as a Moto3 team and were given a three-year deal. Um, they... Every other manufacturer has signed a three or a five year deal with their with their satellite team. Um, every other team in the grid has a five year grid spot with Dorna. And Yamaha have only given them a one year deal. So it, it, it all feels like there's not an awful lot of trust being put in uh, the new setup right now. Um, and I guess we will see how that pans out. If Stiggy's not involved, where are all the trucks coming from? <laughs> Or is that going to be sorted uh, out? <clears throat> they will all be transferred over. Okay. Basically. With a, a few sort of... Mr. Stigafield, you should really just send these things over to the new Sell structure. them over. Right. Okay. Right. <coughs> yes. Okay. It is what it is. It's all a bit... Yeah. I know what you're trying to say, Simon. And very well put. It's all a bit it, messy. Yeah. Okay, then. Okay, then. Right. Well... <clears throat> Okay, then. Yeah, right. Well, uh, uh, at least we feel better than Fabio Quattararo this morning. That's the main thing. And most of the <laughs> Yamaha factory team, by the sounds of things. Yeah, but but what would be the best hangover of his life? I, I did see uh, quickly over breakfast some stories from Fabio Quattararo on Instagram. Uh, yeah, and I think they were before midnight. So, uh, in fact, if he's gone to bed, he'll be doing well. Before six o'clock. Uh, yeah. Good luck to him. Mind you, he Agreed. did say that he hardly slept much on Saturday night because he was worried about the rain. So he will sleep for a yeah. week. Fair play to Fabio Quattararo was the brand new MotoGP world champion. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a great breath of fresh air. And we've got a lot more to come with a lot more riders going through into the future. Keep in touch with the-race.com. News and other podcasts online through our website. The latest Formula One podcast covers the US GP from COTA. Bring Back V10s covers readers' questions about F1 20 years ago. And the Formula E podcast covers a chat with the champion from Holland, Nick de Vries. In the meantime, MotoGP will be back after a weekend off. We will be reconvening on November the 7th with the Portuguese Grand Prix at uh, Porto Mayo and Algarve, and then back-to-back -back races, as Simon mentioned, Algarve and then Valencia finishing off the season. So do like and subscribe, rate our podcast, and let us know where you're listening from, wherever you are in the world. From Val, Simon and myself, Toby, enjoy your week and speak to you all very soon. Goodbye for now.